as the plates are coming forward and going around, we're going to go ahead and jump into the sermon because it's one that I'm excited about. As I was writing this, I really, really wanted to start off with a funny story about debt. I really wanted to, but I can't because there aren't any. Not a single one because debt isn't a laughing matter. Debt is a debilitating condition that crushes people's hopes, dreams, and lives. That's the reality of debt. You know, right now, the average American citizen is carrying around $6,375 in credit card debt. Statistically, that's the average. The average auto loan given out by a bank right now in the United States is in the neighborhood of $30,000. And if you are a college student, depending on what studies and figures you look at, chances are good that you are going to graduate with somewhere between $25,000 and $40,000 in student loan debt. So we're just going to call it 30 for the sake of our easy math this morning. You add all that up, and what you find is that a statistically average American citizen between the ages of 20 and 30 is carrying around somewhere in the neighborhood of $66,000 of debt. Now, even if you're outside of that age bracket, if you're older than 30, you're still carrying around somewhere in the neighborhood of probably $35,000, $36,000 in debt. That's not accounting for things like your mortgage or personal loans of various natures. That's a lot of money. And even if you're not carrying around $35,000, chances are good that you've got five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 of debt attached to your name. Now, all of these facts and these figures are very real, and they ought to startle us, but the things with facts and figures is that they're very impersonal, and they have the tendency to fail to make the impact that they probably should. So instead of giving you more numbers and averages, I want to give you a face. This is Mark Gurniak. Mark was a high school math teacher in Syracuse, New York. He has a wife. He has a beautiful little girl. He was a beloved member of his community. He was well-liked in his neighborhood. In fact, Mark's neighbor even said that he was a quiet guy, kept to himself, but you could tell he really loved his family and his friends. And Mark had even made it a point, since the weather had gotten nicer, to play outside with his little girl every day after work. Mark's wife stayed at home to take take care of their little girl which meant that Mark was the sole breadwinner for the family. So far, not an unusual story, right? Also not so unusual was the $9,000 of credit card debt that Mark was carrying around. And the weight of that stress, trying to pay back that debt, trying to support his family, eventually brought this high school math teacher to his breaking point. So one day after class, he went home, he grabbed an empty shotgun, drove to Ohio, and he robbed a bank. He made away with $20,000. Now, Mark was caught, and when he was asked, what spurred you to do this, Mark said he didn't see any other conceivable way to pay back his debt and support his family on a teacher's salary. And for the next four years, Mark's wife and daughter had to figure life out and what they were going to do because Mark went to prison. Now, I'm not excusing what this guy did, okay? You rob a bank, you go to jail. That's the way it works. Instead, I want to highlight what drove this man to his breaking point. It was debt. Debt suffocates people with hopelessness. That's what it does. And that's why we can't tell any funny stories about it, because it crushes people. We're in the middle of a series right now called All You Can. It's about money. And this morning, we're going to continue with a a message called Save All You Can. Last week, we talked about earn all you can. Go out there, work hard, earn all the money you can. Just don't fall in love with it. Making a money is not a sin. Today's part two of that message, save all you can. You see, the temptation when we get out there, we start making money and building wealth, is to start spending that money on stuff, 
As we saw in the video clip this morning, sometimes we want new and better stuff, even though there's not anything wrong with our old stuff. And that attitude is conducive to a debilitating condition called debt. That's what we're talking about this morning. Save all you can. And to do that, we're going to start our journey in the book of Colossians chapter 3. So if you've got your Bibles with you, why don't you open up to Colossians chapter 3. And if you don't have your Bibles with you, don't sweat it. We've got the passage on the screen behind. Or you can download the YouVersion Bible app on your mobile device. Colossians chapter 3 is where this journey is going to begin. And before we jump into it, before we get to the nuts and bolts, before we get to the practical stuff, and I put some tools in your hands this morning, we have to talk about the fundamental mental shift that has to take place within us in order for any of this to make sense, okay? So here's the fundamental shift that has to take place. We have to understand that debt is not a financial issue, Now, I can see some of you giving me puzzled looks, like, what are you talking about? We're talking about money. Of course, it's a financial issue. Not really. We do not find ourselves in debt because we have insufficient funds or because we don't have a large enough income. Debt is not a financial issue. That's just symptoms. It is first and foremost a spiritual issue. And the book of Colossians starts to make sense of that and clarify that for us in chapter 3, verse 5. Listen to what it has to say. It says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature... Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Put to death, therefore, what is, whatever is of your earthly nature. That would be our flesh. This is one of the terms that the Bible uses to talk about that part within us that desires sinful and destructive things. In the book of Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul, he says that there's this conflict happening within us between our fleshly nature and our spiritual nature, and we have to make the decision as to which one we're going to belong to. We've all probably felt that tension before. It's talking about the deepest parts of who we are. So this is a spiritual issue here that we're talking about. Put to death, therefore, the earthly nature. And then it describes some of the things that that earthly, fleshly nature desires. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust. Those are things that talk about our sexual appetites. And then we get into some terms that are a little more applicable for our discussion this morning. The first one is evil desires. Now, you may or may not be aware of this, but the New Testament, it didn't fall out of the sky in English for us to read today. Originally, it was written in an ancient dialect of Greece, Greek, sorry. And we translated that into English because it's easier to read. Nobody wants to learn a foreign language just so they can read Scripture. Now, that's a huge bonus, and we're blessed to have our English Bibles with us. But one of the downsides is that there are nuances to some of the words that tend to get glossed over. And this word that we translate as desires is one of those nuances that are lost. You see, it has this overtone of covetousness, this wanting that something that doesn't belong to me. It's kind of a jealousy or an envy for your neighbor's possessions. These are the evil desires that's being spoken of there. So that's the first interesting term. Second interesting term is that word greed. The original Greek word there, you know, when we hear greed, we might think of just money, but that word that's used is a little more general. It can talk about stuff, too. It's really just this desire for more, a wanting more-ishness. It's probably a better translation, but that's not grammatically appropriate, so we can't do that. But it's just this wanting more, more stuff. More things, newer things, nicer things. I just want more. And this is the kicker, okay? This is where this passage gets real interesting and real convicting. It says that this greed, this wanting moorishness, is idolatry. It is the worship of something other than God. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, how does that work? 
How does me wanting more or wanting newer, nicer, different things, how does that become idolatry? Well, I'm going to explain it for you, but first we need to watch a commercial for just a second. So let me ask you something about that commercial. Did it make you feel something? Did it make you feel excited? Did it make you feel a little stronger, maybe a little inspired? Did it make you feel like maybe you can do more than you ever thought you could do? Maybe you could break expectations. Maybe you are capable of more than what you thought. You can achieve something. Did this commercial make you feel anything similar to that? Because if it did, then the commercial worked. You see, advertisers learned a long time ago that the easiest way to sell a product is not to talk about the product itself, but is to make you feel something about yourself. You see, advertisers have learned that that we want things that make us feel. We're chasing and craving an identity. You live in a society that is meticulously researched and designed to separate you from your money. And the easiest way to do that is to convince you that products and things can meet your deepest felt needs. If I buy this car, then I will be powerful, or I will be successful, or I will break expectations. I will be capable. If I buy this brand of makeup, then I will be beautiful, or desirable, or sexy. If I buy this brand of beer, then I will belong to a community of lovable goofball friends. If I buy this thing then I will be safe or secure or satisfied or fill in the blank. You see, we stopped buying products a long time ago. What we're buying are feelings. What we're buying is an identity. We want to create ourselves into something we imagine, and so we buy the things we're told are going to accomplish that. Here's the problem. The wheels fall off of that wagon pretty easily. Because those feelings that we're chasing and those feelings that we're buying don't last. Think about the last time you bought a new car. Maybe, maybe it was this. You know, I doubt it. But maybe it was. Maybe it was fresh off the dealer's lot. Or maybe, maybe it was just a new car to you. It was used. Either way, when you bought that car, you probably had a feeling about it. When you woke up to get in your car to go to work, it wasn't just business as usual. There's probably this new excitement that came over you when you got into this car, this new feeling, this new tingle in your fingertips. Maybe a little smile came over your face. It felt new. It even had a new smell, right? That new car smell is amazing. It's designed that way, by the way. This thing is new, and it's exciting, but what happened after you had that car for a month or six months or a year 
Did it still feel exciting? Did you still feel like get that little tingle in your fingertips? Did you still smile a little bit when you got behind the wheel? No, it became business as usual, didn't it? This is just another thing. This is the way that I get to the place where I can make the money to buy new things. See, that new car smell is not the only thing that fades away. That joy, that excitement, that feeling, that identity that we're chasing, it fades as well. So what do you do when it fades away? You buy a new thing. And how do you think people pay for those new things that give them those new feelings and that sense of identity? Do you think people are saving up enough money to buy them outright and responsibly? Or do you think people are going to a bank and taking out a loan or swiping a piece of plastic through a machine? I can tell you nine out of ten times it's the second. Because we're chasing these things. We're chasing identities. We're chasing feelings. And I need that feeling today. I need that identity today. I need that false God in my life right now. I can't wait. So I'll rack up the debt and I'll buy it later. Guys, anytime we ascribe something, so much value and significance to as define ourselves by it or to ascribe to it our energy and our time and our thoughts, we call that worship. It's what we're doing right now, why we gather here today. We are chasing idolatry with debt. We choose idolatry and debt over faithfulness and fiscal responsibility. And we're the ones that end up suffering for it every single time. These ideas of buying things, this consumerism that we live in in this culture, it directly ties in to the slavery that we call debt. And you work way too hard for your paycheck to let it be your downfall this morning. So instead of choosing that path, and choose, instead of going down this road without question, I want to encourage you to start thinking a different way and recognize that this is not a fiscal issue. This is a spiritual issue. That inside myself, I need to choose the right God and the right identity. I need to stop spending and start saving all I can. But should we choose to go down this path of debt? I think we at least deserve to know the truth about what we're really getting ourselves into. You see, anytime we choose debt, we are choosing and entering into slavery. And that may sound a little extreme, but as we're going to see in a moment, it perfectly describes our choice and situation. Now, if I were to stand on the stage this morning and say to you, hey, I'm going to sign some people up for bondage today. Who's in? Nobody's going to raise their hand, right? Nobody's going to sign that dotted line. In fact, we're offended at the very notion of belonging to any individual person. That's disgusting in our culture. Slavery is evil. And yet, it's funny to me how willingly we enslave ourselves to companies and banks in exchange for inept identities and fleeting feelings. Anytime we choose to run that credit card, Visa owns us. Anytime we sign that loan, that bank owns us. Listen to what Proverbs chapter 22 verse 7 has to say. If you don't have your Bible, if you have your Bible with you, flip over to Proverbs 22. We're going to be there for a minute. It says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. That's not that hard to understand. You go into debt, that creditor owns you. And if you don't believe me, listen to what the proverb goes on to say a little later in chapter 22, verse 26. It says, Do not be one who shakes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts. Meaning if you sign up for personal debt or if you are co-signing for somebody else's debt, which is a bad idea, don't do it. It says, If you do that, if you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. 
Meaning if you enter into debt and you can't pay, your wages get garnished or your car gets repossessed or your home enters into foreclosure. Does that sound like you have power over your own life or does that sound like somebody else has power over you? The bank, the creditor, whoever, they own you. They say jump, you say how high. They say pay up, you say cash or check. And you don't have a choice in the matter. You're not holding the cards. You are not in the driver's seat of your own life. You do not have control. Now let me ask you, what word describes that other than slavery? This is the reality, folks. Visa owns us. The bank owns us. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, they own us. Anytime we take that money, it is bondage. The kind of bondage that God does not want for your life. This is a God who sent his own son into this world to take all our sin, all of our spiritual debt upon himself and to erase it, to give us a free and clear slate, a new beginning, freedom and joy and peace. And those aren't just things he wants for us someday in heaven. Those are things he wants for us now today. And debt diminishes and drowns and destroys All of those, it suffocates us with hopelessness. But it doesn't have to be that way. This freedom that God wants for you is not impossible. And when you find it, you see the whole world with a different set of eyes. When you wake up in the morning, the air literally tastes a little different with that first gasp in the morning. I'm here to tell you, when I made the last payment on my student loan, I woke up the next day and said, "Ah." it tasted like freedom. Freedom that God wants for you is not found in things, is not found in possessions, is not found in debt. It is an incredible feeling when the only thing you owe is a debt of love to your fellow man. And some of you in here know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you've been on this journey, you've climbed out of that pit, and you are debt-free right now. And I would encourage you to encourage others with your story. But just for sake of illustration here, those of you who are debt-free right now, how many of you, by show of hands, would willingly enter back into debt? Take a look around. Go ahead. People in the front, look at the back. People in the back, look at the front. Nothing to see, right? no hands. I'm going to tell you, it's not because nobody in here is debt-free. It's because those who are know this truth, that freedom is better than slavery any day of the week. So do yourself a favor. You work too hard for this paycheck. Don't let it be your downfall. Don't spend it and put shackles on your wrist. Save all you can. Now, the reality is that some of you know this all too well. You know the hopelessness. You know the feeling of debt. You know it sucks, and you don't need me to talk about it or rail on it anymore. What you need is some hope. And so that's what I want to give you this morning. I want you to know that there is hope. There is hope to overcome debt. This is Mindy and her husband and their six kids. They live in Utah. Uh, Mindy is a stay-at-home mom. She homeschools their kids. David does something with software. I don't understand it. Um, but they found themselves one day in $400,000 of debt. And that includes their mortgage and their credit cards and everything else. And I'll spare you the details of how they wound up there. Suffice it to say, there was a little bit of bad luck and a lot of foolish spending. And one day they just got sick of being in debt. And they said, we're going to kick this thing in the tail and we're going to climb out. So they got fired up and they got hungry for freedom. And they paid off $400,000 of debt in three years. 
Now, David makes $162,000 a year. That helps. And some of you in here are saying, I don't make $162,000 a year. How can I ever do this? But I'm here to tell you, you probably don't have $400,000 of debt or six kids living at home either. If you do a little bit of math, what you find out is they end up paying about $133,000 a year towards their debt reduction, which means that 82% of David's salary went to that end. Let's see, one, two, three. Eight people lived off $28,000, $29,000 a year. That's a little more impressive, isn't it? Now, that's eight people. Not many of us have eight-member households. A lot of us have four-member households. So let me ask you, with half as many people, do you think you could live off of half as much money? We'll even be generous, fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars a year. Could you do that? And every other penny goes towards paying off debt. The answer is yeah. You could. It wouldn't be fun. And it certainly wouldn't be easy. There'd be a lot of belt tightening and a lot of trimming amenities and fun things out of life, but it is possible. And those few years of discipline would result in a lifetime of freedom. Is it worth the cost? Ask Mindy and David. They love it. It's possible, guys, to get out of debt for every single one of us sitting in here today. But it's not just going to happen. you got to get hungry for freedom. you got to want to shake this shackle off of your wrist. you got to want to be free. And it's not just going to happen. That's biblical advice, by the way. Get fired up and get hungry. Look at the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, verse 1. It says this, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor... If you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, you have been trapped by what you said and snared by the words of your mouth. So again, if you entered into debt personally, if you have co-signed for somebody else's debt, you are ensnared. You're trapped. So do this, my son, to free yourself since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go to the point of exhaustion and give your neighbor no rest. Allow no sleep to your eyes. No slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of a fowler. You ever seen a gazelle outrun a cheetah? Not like in real life. I know we live in Illinois, okay? But like on the Discovery Channel or something. You ever seen that? There's no way a gazelle is going to outrun a cheetah. It's just not going to happen. So it doesn't try. Instead, what it does is it cuts and it jukes and it twists and it turns and it runs that cheetah ragged. It goes in every direction it can see or conceive. It's just jumping all over the place. And you would look at this gazelle and think it's outside its mind, but in reality, it's just running for its life, pushing it to the limit, doing everything it can to survive. And that's the way we're told to shake off the shackles of debt, to push it to the limit, to do everything we can think of, to run for our lives to get free, because essentially that's what we're doing. We are trying to shake off the shackles of bondage. So get hungry, tighten those belts, get motivated, because you have to want this to make it work. But a positive attitude is not going to be enough to climb out of this pit. Eventually we're going to have to start taking some serious swings and knocking some teeth out of our debt. This is a fight after all. And so to do that, I want to put some tools in your hands this morning. And the greatest tool you have at your disposal, the biggest weapon in your arsenal in this war on debt, is your budget. I said the B word, and I'm already losing some of you, but come back here, okay? 
I know it's not sexy. I know it's not flashy. But your budget is crucial. We have to get our house in order and start telling our money where to go instead of our money telling us where to go. That also, by the way, is biblical advice. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 23. And by the way, if you're following along in the bulletin, there's a misprint here. That's my fault. I wasn't paying attention when I sent my notes off to Felicia in the office. We're in Proverbs 27, 23. It says, Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. When the hay is removed and the new growth appears and the grass from the hills is gathered in, the lambs will provide you with clothing, the goats with the price of a field. You will have plenty of goat's milk to feed your family and to nourish your female servants. Now, this is talking about shepherding. Okay? And it's talking a lot about the business of shepherding. It's the ancient business of ancient people. And it's essentially saying this. If you keep your flocks in order, okay, you take care of them, they're going to take care of you. You have plenty of milk, plenty of meat, plenty of, of wool, okay? But you got to do the work to get your herds in order. Today, we paraphrase this parable in a little different way. We say, you take care of your business, and your business will take care of you. Do you know what your business is? And by the way, it's not what you do from nine to five. That's how you make money. But your business is your household income. That's what we have to manage. That's our house that we have to get in order. And when we start telling that money what to do, that's when we start taking control and we can start climbing out of this pit that we call debt. Okay, so a budget is helpful there. Right now, we have a couple of different budget worksheets available on our website for you to go and download for free. www.fccmonmouth.com. They're right on the homepage. Click download here and you can get them. One of them is a weekly budget. One of them is a monthly budget. And I know that there are a lot of budget worksheets out there and maybe you're thinking, I already have a budget. I already follow something. Just go with me here, okay? I love these worksheets because they list out all the reasonable categories that 99% of people spend their money on, and it has three columns. One for what you plan to spend, your budget. One for what you actually spend throughout a week because we don't always stick to those numbers. And then one column to show you the difference of where the money is leaking out, of where the money is slipping through our fingers, and to show you the total amount of power you have to overcome debt. If we can stick to those numbers that we plan to spend, we have some leverage here. These are powerful tools. Now, I'm weird. I like budgets. I like to sit in front of a spreadsheet. I like to plug in the numbers because to me, this is a picture of what my future looks like and it's a roadmap for how to, how to get there. I realize that I'm really odd though, okay? Because a lot of us, we hear the word budget and we just check out. And to sit in front of a spreadsheet might as well be like watching paint dry. That's why we want to put these tools in your hands, okay? We want to make it as easy as possible for you to get a hold of this and start taking control. Even if you have what you think is an airtight budget, do yourself a favor, check them out. Maybe you'll find that you you missed a category in your budget. Or maybe you'll find, you know, I plan to spend this, but what I'm actually spending is a lot more. And maybe you'll have some resources, some extra resources to use in your life. That's on our website right now for free. Go, utilize them. But a budget's only going to do so much, okay? That's going to get our house in order. The next thing we have to do is start fighting hard. We've got to start taking this debt out with swings, punching out teeth, and getting free. And that's not going to happen through making minimum payments alone. The system is designed to trap you with minimum payments so that you pay the maximum amount of money for the maximum amount of time. The credit card company's not your friend. So here's what I want to introduce you. It's another tool. Okay, I didn't come up with this. I got it from Dave Ramsey. He didn't come up with this either. Okay, this is an older thing. It's older than him. It's called the Snowball Debt Reduction Method. 
It's really simple. It works like this. Let's say just for sake of argument, you've got four debts, okay? One has a $50 a month minimum payment. One has a $150 minimum payment. One's $300, one's $500. All said and done, you're paying $1,000 a month towards debt, which means it's $12,000 a year. Now, how many of you, by show of hands, would like to have an extra $12,000 a year sitting in your bank account? Okay, some of you aren't raising your hands, and if that's the case, if you can snub your nose at $12,000, you don't need to be listening to me, okay? No, I think we all would enjoy that. So let's make that happen, okay? What you do is you line up your debts from the smallest minimum payment to the greatest, and you make minimum payments on everything except that smallest monthly payment. On that one, in this case $50 a month, we're going to pay an extra $50 a month. So we're paying $100 a month towards this debt. And maybe you're saying, wait a minute, I don't have 50 extra dollars a month. Yes, you do. Because you downloaded the budget worksheets from our website and you filled them out and you saw the areas where you're overspending and you saw the areas where you can tighten up the belts a little bit and you found $50 because you got hungry and you wanted to be free. So you got 50 bucks, okay? We're going to put that instead. We're going to pay $100 a month. Depending on your interest rate, that could cut the time of your loan down in half which means that we're going to save the interest accrued on the lifetime of that loan, put some extra money in our pocket, and everybody said, amen, right? So now we've got this debt gone. It's paid for because we keep putting this extra money in every month. And this is the crucial moment, okay, because we have this choice now. We got $100 a month that didn't go towards anything. We've got this choice. Can I spend it on something? Because I really want some new boots or I really want to buy a new gun or, or something, you know. So I got $100 a month. Don't spend it. That's what got us into this mess, right? Because we buy stuff trying to fill a void that stuff isn't going to fill. So instead, what we're going to do, and say this with me now, we're going to save all we can. Say it. going to save all we can. So we take that $100 a month and we start applying it to our next smallest debt. So instead of paying $150 a month, we got $250 a month going towards this debt. And we're going to keep paying $250 a month to eliminate that debt as quickly as we can and save the interest that would have accrued over the lifetime of that loan. Here's the other thing. Your lifestyle hasn't changed at all because you're already used to following this particular budget. You're used to this kind of spending. You're used to this lifestyle. Nothing's changed for you. You're just making progress crawling out of this pit we call debt. And we're going to keep paying $250 a month until that debt is gone. And now we've got $250 a month sitting there unaccounted for. And we've reached another crucial moment because $250 a month is nice. We could choose just to let that sit there and give us a little bit of a cushion and some breathing room. Or maybe we take half of it and we think, you know what? I've been good. I'm going to go out for a nice evening on the town. I'm going to treat myself. But that's what got us in this mess. So we're not going to do that. We're not going to spend it. Instead, we're going to take that money. We are going to save all we can, right? So we're going to take 250 bucks, apply it to our next smallest debt, and now we're paying $550 a month instead of $300 a month. You know I'm excited because I'm spitting all over the place up here, frothing with the mouth with excitement. $550 a month going towards this debt. Again, cuts down the time of the loan, saves the interest that would have accrued over that time, and we're going to keep doing that till it's paid off. And you can see this is why it's called a snowball, because it just keeps getting bigger and bigger, and it keeps knocking down more and more as the ball keeps rolling. And we're going to keep paying $550 until that debt is gone, and then we put it to the next one. We're not going to spend $550 a month. We're going to save all we can, and we're going to start paying $1,050 a month on this debt until it's obliterated. And once that's done... What's left? 
freedom. Restful night's sleep. You don't break out in a cold sweat every time the phone rings because you know there's not a bill collector on the other end, okay? Emergency comes up, you're fine because you've got $12,000 extra at the end of the year sitting in your bank account to cover some emergencies. You found freedom. You found peace of mind. And all it took was some discipline, some hard work, and an extra 50 bucks a month. This template, it's a spreadsheet template for Excel, for Open Office, whatever you use. It's available on our website right now. You go to that home page, click download here. And I didn't create this template. Somebody else created it. And here's the cool part. He put his own financial figures and numbers into this equation for you to look at and to see how this worked in his life. And we tell you, he had a lot more debt than probably you or I. But it worked. So all you got to do is just plug your own numbers into this template. It does the math for you and shows you a reasonable snapshot of what your payment plan looks like and how long it's going to take. That's available for free right now on our website, FCCMonmouth.com. Let's go download it. And there are other debt reduction methods out there. And if you're savvy on this kind of talk, you probably know that you can do it a different way. But I like this one because it lets you see victory sooner. You get rid of that first tiny loan, and all of a sudden, a switch flips, and you start to realize, I can do this. This is a real possibility. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in the lives of people that I've talked to that have used this, people that I've helped and counseled through this. This works, guys. This freedom is real. There is hope to crawl out of this debt and to taste the goodness that God desires for you. He cares about your money, but not because he needs it. He already owns the whole world. He doesn't need your money. What he cares about is you. Jesus said something so powerful and so true in the gospel. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you park your money is where you park your heart. So where are you parking your heart at? Are you parking it in your driveway with that car you can't afford? Are you poking it, parking it next to your garage or that boat you bought? Are you parking it in your closet with your shoes, your dresses, your purse? Are you parking it someplace with stuff or are you parking your heart with God using the funds he's blessed you with in a God-honoring way? That's why he cares about money. Because he cares about you. Because he loves you. So don't spend that cash. You save all you can. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for how much you love us and you care about us. You've set us free from bondage. You've set us free from sin and death. And in the blood of Jesus, you've given us hope for an eternal life of joy and peace. But Father, that isn't something you want for someday. That's something you desire for us now. And so I pray that you would give us the wisdom. I pray that you give us the discernment, the discipline to take the wisdom of your word and to apply it. And I pray that you would encourage people on this journey to find financial freedom because this is not just a money matter. This is a soul matter. I pray that no man would own us, no company, no card would own us, that you and you alone would own us because you purchased us through the blood of your own son. Father, let us know that truth. Let us live it. Let us worship you and praise you with every word, with every act, with every expenditure. Let us honor you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.